We do welcome each one to the Bible class uh, this morning, uh, trusting the Lord would uh, be with us and bless us and teach us uh, through his word uh, this morning. Uh, our pastor is not, is not here uh, yet this morning. He will be coming at some stage. Uh, but uh, yesterday, yesterday evening, uh, Calvin had an accident with a chopping knife and they had to go uh, to the hospital and uh, I think uh, Calvin may need uh, surgery today or tomorrow uh, on a severed uh, tendon. Uh, so do uh, remember Calvin in your prayers uh, that there would be a speedy recovery and uh, I think it sounds very painful as well. So uh, do pray for him and uh, for the Lord's help uh, for his servant this morning as well, uh, because I suppose with things like this, it's uh, difficult uh, then to come and uh, to preach and to bring God's word also, uh, all uh, the added responsibility. Uh, so do remember the Lord's servant, his family and Calvin in your prayers uh, this morning. We're going to seek the Lord in prayer, and then we'll uh, turn to the Scriptures. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we uh, thank Thee this morning. We can uh, come to Thee. Uh, we thank Thee uh, that on this day uh, that is set aside for Thy worship, uh, we can come to Thee, our God. And Father, we pray as we turn to the study of Scripture, indeed the study uh, of what the Scriptures are, uh, we pray that uh, Thou would give us help and give us strength, and uh, Thou would bless us, Thou would open Thy Word to us. We realize when uh, we consider these things, oh, how deep they can be. Oh, how uh, far past our finite minds they are. Uh, but, Father, we pray that we would understand something of Thy Word uh, that would uh, take root within our hearts, enable us to treasure thy word more and more, uh, to be driven to the study of thy word more and more, uh, to desire uh, to live thy word more and more. And we pray that thou would apply thy truth to our hearts for the glory of thy name. We do remember uh, Calvin this morning. We pray that uh, thou would give that ease of pain. Uh, we pray, uh, Father, for uh, this a potential surgery also that uh, thou would guide and uh, give that help and uh, wisdom to the surgeon. And Father, may uh, even uh, Calvin know uh, the help and the presence of his God. Uh, Father, we do remember uh, the Backers family as well at this time. We pray for our brother as he has uh, that responsibility of bringing thy word today. Uh, bless him, we pray. And may he know uh, that uh, added help from thee uh, despite these circumstances, give him grace, give him strength, we pray. And may thy name be glorified uh, this day in thy house. And uh, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. There are two passages of Scripture I want to draw your attention uh, to this morning. Uh, the first one is 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's very familiar to us. We uh, read it uh, last Lord's Day. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we'll read the verses 16 and 17. And this morning, uh, we're continuing in the doctrine of Scripture. We considered uh, the revelation of God last week, the fact that God has spoken. God has revealed himself to us. 
And now we come to uh, the writing down of that revelation uh, as it is contained in the Word of God. And we're coming to consider the inspiration of Scripture. It will be a two-part message. I was preparing this, and I thought, well, to get everything done, I would have to speak at about 500 words uh, per minute, and nobody will understand the single word uh, that I'm saying, neither will I myself. And so uh, we'll break it up over uh, two messages, and uh, we'll consider uh, some of it this morning and in the will of God uh, some next Lord's Day. But the inspiration of Scripture, an important uh, foundational truth, and we'll read from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the verse 16. And this is a key text regarding uh, the inspiration of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for an instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And then I want to draw your attention uh, to Second Peter chapter, Second Peter chapter one, and the verse uh, sixteen. We'll read from there down uh, to the end of the chapter. Second Peter chapter one, and the verse sixteen. <coughs> the word of God says, "For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of His Majesty." For he received from God the Father honor and glory. And when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do dwell that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn, and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of these two portions of Scripture for His name's sake. Amen. Amen. In modern society, there are many who, when faced with the Word of God, or faced with a challenge to read the Word of God, or perhaps uh, are found in the house of God listening to the preaching of the Word of God, whether it is as uh, children of saved parents, or whether it is those who just find themselves uh, in God's will in the house of God, one of the things that they think of Scripture, one of the reactions they have is that the Word of God is boring. Now, this was something that R.C. Sproul wrote in his book, Knowing Scripture. And R.C. Sproul gave two myths regarding what men think of Scripture. The second one is, very simply, the Bible is boring. And that is what men and women think today. Scripture is boring. How can you sit and read the Word of God for hours upon end? How can you spend time with it every day? How can you listen uh, to a man for uh, 30 minutes, 50 minutes, preaching the Word of God? For some people, five minutes would be sufficient, and maybe too long. The Bible is boring. 
There's nothing in it that is relevant and necessary for me today. And in this book, R.C. Sproul deals with that. He calls it a myth because, quite frankly, it is a myth. It is an opinion of man, but yet it is not true. And he spoke about uh, the boredom the people experience with the Bible, and he writes about a president of a Christian college who phoned him one time, and he asked the question to him to come and to uh, do Bible studies in this college. He said that we need someone young and exciting, someone with a dynamic method who will be able to make the Bible come alive. R.C. said he had to force himself to swallow his words. He wanted to say, you want me to make the Bible to come alive? I didn't know it had died. In fact, I never even heard that it was ill. Who was the attending physician at the Bible's demise? No, I can't make the Bible come alive for anyone. The Bible is already alive. It makes me come alive. And he said that when people say the Bible is dull, it makes me wonder why. Biblical characters are full of life. There's a unique quality of passion about them. And he continues on to speak about the marvel of God's Word, to deal with doctrines regarding Scripture that we will come to in the future, God willing. But the truth is, the Bible is not boring. And if that is the opinion that you have today regarding Scripture, then, quite frankly, you have a problem. You have a problem. The Word of God is not boring. Some places may be hard to understand. Some places may be difficult but it is not boring. And to the child of God, the Word of God ought to burn within his heart. The Word of God ought to be uh, the center of his life. And therefore, the Word of God uh, to the true believer is not something that is boring, not something that is unnecessary, something that he would only spend time on, perhaps on the Lord's Day, because that's the requirement, coming to church, reading the Bible, listening to sermons, and the rest of the time, well, the Bible is boring, we'll set it aside. The Bible is not boring. And as we look at the doctrine of Scripture, we find uh, that Scripture itself teaches why the Bible is not boring. And one of the reasons is what we find here in the text for the reading today in Timothy and in Peter, it quite simply inspiration. We have considered that God has spoken. God has revealed Himself to man by way of special revelation. And our study concerns the doctrine of Scripture. And this morning we'll move further, as we've said, in our consideration of the inscripturation of God's revelation, writing that revelation down, giving that revelation to us in a written form, and we'll consider the means by which this happened, which is inspiration. And Paul teaches us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. As I've said, that is the key verse regarding inspiration. The written Word is given by God, and inspiration is the method used. And now, when we consider that term inspiration, we consider what it means, there is much of a mystery regarding the operation of God, but there are things that we can understand concerning it. 
But I want to draw your attention just briefly uh, to the concept of the written Word of God or the revelation of God. We considered last week that this revelation is most necessary for us, and especially in regard to salvation. This revelation is most necessary for us. And therefore, it makes sense that the best way in which this revelation can be preserved is by writing it down. If you have someone in this world who led an exciting life, perhaps a soldier thinking of the theme of remembrance, who in his early years stormed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day, who marched through Europe and was involved in uh, the war, or perhaps he was a successful businessman and he has all manner of advice to give to young men and women who seek to do well in the business world. Maybe quite simply, uh, maybe a farmer who has uh, developed great ways of uh, crops and curing for animals. What is the best way to spread that knowledge, to keep that knowledge preserved for future generations? It is by writing it down. Yes, you might make a YouTube video, uh, but if we take modern technology out of it, you would write it down. History is filled uh, with men and women who have written, written accounts of history, written great books and volumes of knowledge, and we can look back over the centuries and look at secular books that have been preserved because they've been written down. The knowledge the maps, whatever it might be, was written down, stored, archived, and preserved. And in the same sense, we have the Word of God. It is written down, it is preserved for our use and our benefit today. I remember a primary school around the age of 10. A teacher decided to do an experiment with us, and they went to one side of the classroom. They kneeled down and whispered, a few words in the ear of one pupil. We had no idea what was said, but that pupil then had to go to the pupil beside him and whisper something in his ear, and so on it went round the classroom, 30 of us. And afterwards, the whisper that was said back to the teacher barely resembled the original sentence. It had changed. Some of the pupils heard differently what was said, and uh, they changed it. Unknowingly, they changed it. And eventually, uh, this sentence came back that was very different than what was said originally. Of course, we can think of gossip and how gossip starts like that and how it changes. Uh, but when we think of oral tradition, passing things down through the generations by word of mouth, there can be variations, variations. But if the teacher had written down that sentence, given it on a page of paper uh, to that pupil, who then read that sentence to the next person who wrote it down, and so on, it would have been preserved. And of course, when we think of Scripture, Scripture is not, uh, as it were, passed down orally. There's a point when the great truths would have been passed down prior to Moses being inspired by God to write the book of Genesis. But what we have today is a preserved Word of God. It's lasting. It's sure. And it was written down that it might remind us through the ages, 
of the truth of God, that we would reach all nations, that we would teach all men objectively from the united truth of God, that there might be that testimony of truthfulness within it. And the Scripture itself testifies of being God's revealed Word and of being inspired. Moving back to inspiration then, often human writers or artists will talk of inspiration. I remember playing Lego. Well, I didn't really play. It was more building and designing. My brother played, uh, but he was 11 years younger than me, so when it came to uh, playing with Lego, I created and designed. He played uh, because I was much older than he was. But we often looked at different buildings or we uh, saw different designs in the real world, and when it came to putting that together and looking at the Lego bricks, there was inspiration. A building, perhaps in the city, inspired us to build something like that. And artists and writers will talk of inspiration today. The hymn writer, uh, perhaps, uh, will refer to inspiration. But that idea of inspiration is completely different than the idea and the truth that we have here in the Word of God, particularly in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That idea of inspiration is completely different because when we come uh, to 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, uh, we see that inspiration is the work of God through His Holy Spirit in which His Word was commu communicated to human authors, enabling them without error, without addition, without deleting the Word of God, uh, to write it down. The work of the Spirit ensured that Scripture was inerrant and infallible. One theologian said that the mysterious power put forth by the Spirit of God on the authors of Holy Writ to make them write it, to guide them even in the employment of the words they use, and thus to preserve them from all error. A. A. Hodge, one of the Princeton theologians, said that inspiration is that divine influence which accompanying the sacred writers equally in all they wrote secured the infallible truth of their writings in every part, both in idea and expression. Dr. Alan Kern said that inspiration is the work of God by His Holy Spirit, communicating His Word to the writers of the Bible and enabling them to write that Word without error. Thus, through, though in, thus, though fallible human penmen were employed, the Holy Spirit ensured the production of infallible writings, true in all respects, both as to their ideas and their words. These writings are, he said, in the strictest sense God's Word, and have authority, and are the final rule of faith and practice. And believers, we come to look for a moment at the doctrine of inspiration— we must consider that this doctrine, and we must understand this, the doctrine of inspiration is one which every human being must consider. You may say, well, surely, is that not the doctrine of salvation by which men can be saved? Therefore, that doctrine is vital for them to understand and believe. Not the doctrine of inspiration— the doctrine of salvation is revealed in the Scriptures which have authority and are the revelation of God. And when we look at the doctrine of inspiration, God inspiring His Word, God inspired the writers of Scripture 
to write what we have, to write concerning the way of salvation. And without the truths that are set forth in the doctrine of inspiration, we have no Scripture. We have no written Word. We have no Word that can be trusted. But what we do have is the true, necessary, and the pure Word of God to men. And therefore, the doctrine of inspiration is important to everyone, to everyone, because it is a doctrine uh, that sets forth the importance and the significance and the essential nature of the Word of God. It's a doctrine that affects our daily lives. If we truly believe the Word of God is inspired, not only for salvation, but for our knowledge of God and His ways and His purpose in our lives, then we will treasure it. We will treasure it. We will live by it. The doctrine of inspiration, dear believer, cries out to you that you cannot ignore the Word of God. You cannot set it aside. You cannot substitute it for your own ideas because God has revealed it. God has given it. God has breathed it out. And the same applies to the church as well. The church stands or falls upon the doctrine of inspiration. The truth, the sufficiency, the clarity, the authority of Scripture, which we will see next week, God willing, are all founded upon the doctrine of inspiration because God has inspired His Word, because it is the very Word of God in all that it contains. Therefore, it is sufficient. It has authority. It is true. We only need to look at history to see what happens when a church places the traditions of men and the doctrines of men alongside the Word of God. Not only did, do we see tyranny and corruption and slaughter, but there was the blinding of the eyes of the people of Europe to the true gospel that is found in God's inspired Word. And dear believer, we must look at Scripture as God's inspired Word. The issue of the origin of Scripture and the authority which stems from it is of great importance. In the Garden of Eden, what did Satan do? He attacked the authority of the words that God spoke to Adam and Eve. The serpent said unto the woman, Genesis 3, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What did Satan do? He turned to our first parents, and he said, you see God's word, that which God has said to you can't be trusted. It's wrong. It's lies. Therefore, it can be set aside. And that is what we see today. That is still the message of Satan today. God has got it wrong. The Bible is not true. The word of God cannot be trusted. He speaks to ministers and pastors and churches and believers who profess to be believers, and he says, God's Word cannot be trusted. Some of it is true, but not all of it. And that is a great problem in this day and age. Men will look at Scripture and say, well, firstly, it doesn't mean what it says. The virgin birth of Christ, that's an impossibility. That never happened. That's a fanciful idea. They may not deny Christ, but they deny the significance and the miracle of His incarnation. 
which is to deny Christ and who he is and why he came into this world. They will recognize him as the Scriptures say, but they deny that he's the Son of God. We have men who will look at Scripture and say, well, this part is not true, or this part is myth. The Genesis record, it's myth. And this part and that part and the other part, they're not actually inspired. And men will pick and choose and carve up Scripture into all sorts of ways. But what did Paul say to Timothy? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And dear believer, we're not to pick and choose what parts of Scripture are given by God. All of it is given. All of it has authority. All of it must be believed and trusted by us. A.W. Pink, the British Bible commentator, has said this, that every available weapon and the devil's arsenal has been employed in his determined and ceaseless efforts to destroy the temple of God's truth. In the first days of the Christian era, the attack of the enemy was made openly, the bonfire being the chief instrument of destruction. But he says now in these last days, there is a subtle assault, and he speaks about the divine origin of the Scriptures being disputed in the name of scholarship and science. And if we were to go into detail in the 19th century and textual criticism and trace that right through, we would see what he's speaking of. And he says, this happens by those who profess to be the friends and the champions of the Bible. He says, much of the learning and theological activity of the hour are concentrated in the attempt to discredit and destroy the authenticity and the authority of God's Word, the result being that thousands of nominal Christians are plunged into a sea of doubt. Many of those who are paid to stand in our pulpits and defend the truth of God are now the very ones who are engaged in sowing the seeds of unbelief and destroying the faith of those to whom they minister. And then he speaks that these modern methods will prove no more successful in their efforts to destroy the Bible than did those employed in the opening centuries of the Christian era. He said, as well might, be, might the birds attempt to demolish he speaks about the rock of Gibraltar. We could bring it home, and we could say as well, might the birds attempt to demolish uh, the Rocky Mountains by pecking it with their beaks than for the Word of God to be destroyed by these men. Forever, O Lord, he said, thy word, quoting Scripture, is settled in heaven. Do you believe it this morning? I want us to consider the doctrine of Scripture. I have four points, and we'll only get through the first one this morning, and we'll come back uh, next Lord's Day, God willing, uh, to consider uh, the doctrine of inspiration in the history of the church, the fact that it is not an optional doctrine for us to believe, emphasizing that, and looking at some of the implications, the glorious consequences of uh, this doctrine. But firstly, I want you to see that this doctrine, the doctrine of inspiration, this doctrine is set forth in Scripture. I want to look at the meaning, and I want to look at how it is set forth in the Word of God in the moments that remain. Scripture testifies to its own inspiration. And God reveals to us in the Scriptures that the Scriptures are inspired by Him. 
The doctrine of inspiration was not dreamed up by the Reformed Church in the 1500s to defend their position against the Roman Catholic Church. But it was formulated by the teaching of Scripture itself, which, of course, is an application of what we are teaching this morning. If Scripture is the revealed and inspired Word of God, then it must be, without exception, the source of all our doctrine and teaching and the great spring by which the river of our theology flows. And therefore, the emphasis is placed upon the church to believe that truth, to stand for that truth, to teach that truth, and upon each of us who believe wholeheartedly to love and believe and practice that truth. I want to say something about the meaning of inspiration. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, the verse 16, that key text, uh, we have those words, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is a Greek word. It's a compound word. It's made up of two words in the original Greek that have been brought together. And we see that a lot in the Greek text of Scripture, of course. It's made up of two words, God and breathed. And the emphasis here is that Scripture is breathed out. All Scripture is given by the breath of God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Our confession of faith acknowledges that there is something unique about the Word of God. There's a uniqueness that the books of this world do not possess. We'll come to the confession of faith uh, next uh, Lord's Day to see what it says. Uh, but the uniqueness found in Scripture is not possessed by the works of this world. If you take Charles Dickens and you take A Tale of Two Cities or you uh, take uh, his work on Oliver Twist or whatever it might be, one of the great novels in literature, man will say it's great. Man will look at the writing and the English and the grammar and the plot and praise this work. But it is completely different than God's Word, for it is not inspired. It is not breathed out by God. There are works in this world that will contain songs and will contain poetry and history and truths that we must know, but yet the Holy Scriptures are the writing of God to man. They are unique. Our confession of faith also, as we'll consider, acknowledges a rejection of the books known as the Apocrypha. Books like Tobit and Judith and Barak and Esdras and Enoch. You may not have an idea of what I'm talking about. You may do. If you don't have an idea of what I'm talking about, uh, I think that's a good thing because you never sat down and treated these books as the inspired uh, books of Scripture. Uh, but yet the Roman Catholic Church and others would claim that uh, the Apocrypha, these uh, collection of books, are part of Scripture. Uh, but yet, from the Reformed Protestant perspective, uh, these books are not inspired by God. Uh, we'll come to that when we consider the canon of Scripture to lead a point. Uh, but these books are not of any special use because they are not inspired. Therefore, the books that are inspired are of special use. The books that we have contain Genesis to Revelation. Scripture is God-breathed. And this term indicates not that God gives some form of artistic inspiration to every author to write according to their own ideas, but they wrote as the Spirit of God guided them. 
it was breathed out. In 2 Peter 1, the verses 19 to 21, uh, we have those words. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. And then it says, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation, but the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Scripture is not of the private origination by man. It did not come about by the mere will of man. This is what Peter is saying. Scripture is that sure word. It can be dependent, depended upon, but it's not of the will of man. It is the breath of God upon it. R.C. Spool said the force behind Paul's words is that all of Scripture is breathed out by God. Going back to 2 Timothy, he's saying that its ultimate origin is God. Its ultimate origin is God. Moving back to 2 Timothy 3, we can have concerns about modern versions of the Scriptures, at least one translation, uh, the ESV, it takes 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and the translation that it uses is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The authorized version is, uses that phrase, inspiration, uh, but the ESV takes a clear and literal rendition of the original Greek. And the way it is translated there is exactly the way it is in the original Greek. And of course, the English word here, inspiration, uh, that is what it is pointing to. That is what it means. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Not a little bit, not part of it, but all of it. All of it. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we have that phrase, no prophecy of the Scriptures of any private interpretation. The word prophecy is not used in the sense here of predicting the future, but in the sense of making a declaration. Uh, the prophets spoke, and when we think of the prophet Isaiah, he didn't speak necessarily all about what will happen in the future, uh, but he declared the Word of God. And uh, that is the sense we have it here. No prophecy of the Scripture, no declaration of the Scripture is of any in private interpretation. What that phrase uh, means here <coughs> is not uh, that we ourselves cannot interact with Scripture privately, but what it means, uh, that word private means pertaining to self. The idea that Peter is getting across is that Scripture came forth, and it did not come forth by the will of man. It did not come forth uh, by men. It did not come forth by something that pertained to a man, pertaining to self. But rather, there was something else took place. Verse 21 tells us that. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And Peter is setting forth to these believers to whom he is writing that there is this sure word of prophecy, something that can be depended upon, something that is certain. Man had nothing to do with it. Yes, men wrote, and men speak, but they speak as they were moved by the Spirit 
of God. John Gill said that no prophecy of the Scripture is of a man's own impulse, invention, or composition. He says it is not human, but purely divine, purely divine. Holy men of God were moved, verse 21 of 2 Peter 1. And that word moved means to be carried along. These men were carried along by the Spirit of God. It was the Spirit of God. It was Him who was doing this work. Men of God were involved, yes, but the Spirit was instrumental and essential in the writing of Scripture. Not a single writer of Scripture made his own decision. He did not act in human will to write Scripture. He did not one day decide, well, I'm going to sit and I'm going to write Scripture for future generations. It was all of God from the very start to the very end. The Spirit stirred them up to write Scripture the will of God, not the will of man. And dear believer, that may sound absolutely fundamental and simple and something we will certainly not disagree with, but it is of vital importance for us to understand that what we have in front of us has its great source with God. It was breathed out by Him, breathed out by Him. The Savior saw the Old Testament Scriptures as inspired by God. If we turn to uh, Luke chapter 24 and the verse 44, Luke 24, the verse 44, the Savior is speaking to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he speaks about the Old Testament Scriptures. And he's in the upper room, actually, in verse 44. And he speaks that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. So Christ is going back to the Old Testament. He's saying that in the Old Testament there are things concerning himself. He's setting forth the value of the Old Testament. He's setting forth the Old Testament as something that has its origin in God because it speaks of Christ. It speaks of Christ. And we must bear in mind that when we come to Scripture, Scripture speaks of Christ. It's united. It is God's written Word. God's written Word. I want you to notice here as well, inspiration in the Old Testament and inspiration in the New Testament. Our time is uh, basically gone. Uh, But I want to notice just a few things I'll lay forth for you for a few moments. Inspiration in the Old Testament. In the opening chapter of Scripture, Genesis 1, we see that phrase, God said. God spoke, and the world came into existence. In the very first chapter of the Word of God, sets forth that there is a God, and that he spoke, and he spoke the world into existence. He's revealing himself to us. He's setting forth his words to us. And Genesis chapter 1 contains God's words to us. God's words to us. Moving through the prophets, uh, we uh, see that they spoke as God said. The Word of God is recorded. Psalm 119 is a great psalm about the Word of God. And the psalmist 
it speaks there, thy word have I hid. Thy word have I hid. I've hoarded it. I've reserved it. I've stored it up in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. There's a purpose to this word, but he says thy word, the word of God, the word of God has been hid. The scriptures of truth have been hid. That which God has revealed has been hid in his heart for a great purpose, thy word. And the writers of the Old Testament and the prophets and the psalmist here are very, very clear when they speak about God's word, thy word. There is this belief and this surety that God spoke and God revealed himself to them. And we have that account in the Old Testament. But also inspiration in the New Testament, aside from the verses we've already considered, uh, we see that in Romans 1 verse 2, uh, the Scriptures are referred to as the Holy Scriptures. In Romans 3 verse 2, Paul speaks about the oracles of God, the utterances, the Greek implies, the utterances of God, what God has said. God has spoken, God has said, this is recorded, and unto them the Jews were committed the sayings of God, the Word of God. Referring back to the Old Testament. In Pentecost, Peter referred to the book of Joel, Acts chapter 2. And that is, again, confirmation that the New Testament writers accepted the Old Testament. There are many today, and they'll focus on the New Testament, and the Old Testament will be set aside. It's outdated. There's things in there we don't fully understand. Christ is not, while Christ is revealed, Christ is not fully revealed. He's revealed in types and in metaphors. The New Testament sets forth Christ in all his fullness. And the Old Testament will be set aside, but there's a unity between the two. And all Scripture is given by inspiration of God for us to consider, for us to read and study and believe. There's much more we could say here regarding uh, the New Testament, but at the baptism of Christ, God said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. The great source of Scripture, the one who inspired Scripture, the one who inspired the Old Testament, and of course the New Testament, is turning round at the baptism of his Son, and he's saying, Listen to him. Hear ye him. Dear believer, we must hear Christ. We must hear Christ in the Old Testament. We must hear Christ in the New Testament. We cannot only see parts of Scripture as God's Word. What an error that is. Let us look at all of Scripture. The Scriptures assert themselves to be inspired, and therefore we must either accept them as such or reject them as being inspired. If we reject the Scriptures as being inspired, then where does our faith stand? What is our final authority? What do we believe? What do we teach? What do we preach? How do we live? There's no authority. There's no guide. But let us listen to the testimony of Scripture. Again, much more we could say here, but let us believe it. Let us stand firm upon it. Let us accept that from Genesis to Revelation, all the words of Scripture 
and we'll consider that a little bit more next week. All the words of Scripture are inspired by God. Let us believe it. Let us practice it. Let us not set it aside, but let us value Scripture because of the great testimony found within it that it is the Word of God. May the Lord bless His Word for His name's sake. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank Thee for Thy uh, Word this morning. We pray Thou would bless it to us. We thank Thee. We can consider the inspiration of Scripture. And while we see it as such a deep subject, we pray that Thou would be pleased to open it to us. May we see much of Christ. May we see much of how we are to approach Thy Word. And Father, may it be a blessing to us. As we come to the morning service, we pray Thou would bless us, and Thou would apply Thy Word to our hearts. Undertake for Thy servant, we ask of Thee. And do us good, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.